remind you, yes, this is our missions weekend. And yes, that traditionally means in churches like ours that we're um, talking about far-off lands, far-off peoples who speak exotic languages. But God's world mission, actually we're at the horizon of it. Now we are um, the stunning recipients of that world mission, and we are gathered in this place at this time in this community because God himself is continuing the world mission that he has revealed to us in Scripture. So last night we had the privilege of hearing Steve uh, Corbett remind us of that great mission and then begin to help us think through what are the implications of the fact that that God is doing an amazing work in this community among and through this people. And so we began to reflect on what does it mean for us to be God's people for this community. Today, I had the privilege of serving in the nursery, but my understanding is that we spoke a little bit more concretely about how it is that the Lord has raised up and appointed deacons to strengthen us and to equip us and to facilitate our care for our community. One of the things that amazes me, and for which I'm very thankful as we just Um, heard just a few minutes ago, is that the messengers of God come to us in all shapes and sizes. So thank you very much for those of you uh, who stood because uh, to give testimony to the steadfast love of the Lord that is powerful even today, my soul needed the salve. But I'm also very pleased that we have the opportunity to hear God's Word preached from a different man who is not a part of this congregation but knows our community well, has a different accent. And so, Steve, if you wouldn't mind coming and bringing to us the Word. Having just visual kind of markers can be helpful. Um, So I am definitely not a preacher. Um, I love to teach, but I I know that preaching has a little different to it. Um, And, um, but I'm thankful for Dan to give me this opportunity to be in the pulpit and try to just share some thoughts. So first of all, what I'm going to preach upon is not what's in the bulletin, which is what I've been saying it was going to be into about Wednesday of this week. Um, and I had it all ready, and I thought I knew exactly where I was going, and I just sat before the Lord, and I just, I have, I'm going to share something different. Um, I, I Hopefully it was from his nudging and not just me. So I want to talk about just um, some things that I've run into. So I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, Mary and I went to Covenant together, and I had a class, and in one of my classes we read a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger by Tom Sidon. Uh, by Ron Sider, and that just opened my eyes to God's concern for the poor. Um, And he ended up calling Mary and I um, very early in our marriage to go overseas and work for an organization called Food for the Hungry International. 
And so we've been in and around this stuff for a long, long time. I, I worked on and off for them for almost 20 years before I came to Covenant. Um, I work up there. I teach in a major called Community Development, which is basically how to minister to the poor um, in word and deed. So it's kind of stuff that I've been around for a while. And <clears throat> through the years, there's been some different themes that seem to show up that I've had to think about and wrestle with. And so that's what I wanted to do today. And I just realized I walked up without my Bible. That's not a good thing. See, that's why I'm, not, I'm a teacher, not a preacher, because I forget the Bible. So Elsie, thank you. All right. So I'm known at my church to have a really heavy Bible. And so uh, I, I like the bigger print. I like the study guide. And I like to hit people over the head with it. So, um, and I mean literally, not figuratively. I, I mean literally. I'm, I'm bad about that. Um, the one thing being tall is you don't appreciate how sh you can hurt short people so easily. Uh, <clears throat> so, anyhow. <clears throat> so I just have a couple of thoughts to share with you. And again, I, I can't believe Dan preaches in a room without a clock, so that makes me really nervous. So I have my little thing here, but I'm not used to looking at, I'm used to being in rooms with clocks and staying on time, and so I will try to not prolong this. I, because I'm not a preacher, I actually have no idea how long this is going to take. Um, he said I had two and a half hours. I know I can stay within that. So, you know, turn down the crock pots really low right now. No, I, I will not do that to you. So let me, let me just uh, pray. Father, we just ask that you would be here and the power of your word and the truth of your word would be made known in our minds in our wills and in our bodies and in our beings for your glory, knowing that that's always, that's always for our good. Amen. So I can remember, it was about 1983, and we were at a little teeny church in northern, in Vermont, in northern Vermont, that's where I'm from, and we were actually raising support to go overseas to work on this organization called Food for the Hungry. They had something called the Hunger Corps, which is basically a Christian version of the Peace Corps where you joined for three years and you went out in the field and worked amongst their work. Um, and uh, most of, in kind of the Christian relief and development world, most of the staff are nationals working in their own context. They raise money all sorts of ways, things like the child sponsorship stuff and grants and all sorts of stuff. But they carved out this little thing for people like Mary and I who had a heart for the poor but had no experience and weren't worth hiring. So we raised our own support, and out we went. Um, and th that certainly was life-shaping and took us down a pathway that's kind of consumed a lot of our lives. But I can remember after sharing at this church about what we were going to do and the challenge to support us, a man came up afterwards and he said, well, you know, Steve, Jesus said the poor you'll always have with you. And I thought, well, yeah. And, and I was trying to get at what he's at. And he basically was trying to tell me, well, then why bother? Why fight something that just God's already told us you can't beat? I thought, well, that can't quite be right. Um, and so I spent some time and did some, just started to think about that more. So I actually want to preach or share a little bit from that verse that that guy challenged me with. And this section here is just about why bother with poverty? Why bother with the poor? So the scripture is Matthew 26, 6 through 13. 
And I'm going to be reading that. <clears throat> so this is the context. Is Jesus, this is just before the Last Supper. We know right after the Last Supper, he's going to go out in the garden and pray. He's going to get arrested. And the march to the cross is on the way. This is just before that. And uh, so starting in verse 6, he's in Bethany. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at, ta at, at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why waste this? For we could have sold, this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So as Jesus was off to do, when he was sharing and speaking, he quoted scripture a lot. And that's actually what he was doing here. When he made the declaration, the poor you shall always have with you, he was quoting Deuteronomy 15.11. So I actually, so I, the, the audience, when he said that, because they were well-versed, they knew what he meant. And it was a very powerful challenge to them about the poor. And so I want to talk a little bit about that challenge and then go back to the context that what happened in Bethany that day. So if we turn to Deuteronomy 15... And I forgot to put down the verses. Sorry about that. Um, I'm going to read, I think, from 7 through 11. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. There's a little bit of context to this. So one of the things we know about the nation of Israel, and you know, God gave them lots and lots of instructions. That this is how to be my people. And there are all sorts of instructions of all sorts of things. But he certainly had some really, really interesting economic thoughts. Right? And we know these things. That every seven years when you lent something, the debt was canceled after seven years. When you lent to your brothers. And every 50 years, no matter what you owned and what you'd done with it for 50 years, at the end of 50 years in the year of Jubilee, it went back to the original, whoever owned it 50 years ago, it went back to them. Lock, stock, and barrel. That was, that's the, you've heard of the year of Jubilee, right? right? If you haven't, go talk to the Mennonites. All right? It was a fascinating system. Basically, they say that wealth creation over time has some inherent dangers for groups of people. There's too many losers and just too few winners. And so we created the system. And so that system's in mind when we come to Deuteronomy 15. It says, if, any one of you, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, 
You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Right? Because if I go and lend to him in year six, right, he's only going to pay me back for one year, and then it's out. He's released from it. So why would I want, I don't want to be generous at the end because I'm going to get, I'm going to lose out. That's the context of this scripture. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because this, for because whoops, uh, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake. And this is where Jesus was quoting: "For there will never cease to be poor in your land. Therefore, I command you: you shall open wide your hand to your brother, and to the needy." and to the poor in your land. So when the disciples and the people heard Jesus say, the poor you will always have with you, instantly they heard, don't close your heart and your hand to the poor. We all know this. That was not a statement of, let's not care, we can't do anything about it. It was going right back to the core of Scripture that says, don't dare close your heart. Shut your heart. And actually, the, the Hebrews, it ball up your fist to the poor, to your brothers, to the poor and needy in your land, in Flintstone, in Chattanooga Valley. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Instead, open your heart and unfold that hand to your community. And don't be too preoccupied, right, with what you might lose in the process. So last night and this morning, and by the way, I want to share, it's been a blessing for me to be with my brothers and sisters and just thinking through things. Right? It's always fun just to throw stuff out there and then try to wrestle with it. And I've enjoyed that. <clears throat> and so we've tried to wrestle with not just being open, but what does that look like to do that well? And some of that was stuff we've all heard a lot, and some of it was maybe some newer things. That sometimes opening your hand is actually saying no to requests. But I'm going to get to that scripture in a second. But I want us to hear this. As we look around in this community, I go to church in Lafayette, I'm I'm an elder at Highlands, so our community is much like this. Um, I was sharing last night this morning, I grew up in rural Vermont. This feels very homey to me, this whole area. That's why I like living here. 
Um, I appreciate a lot about kind of small town, rural, settled life, extended families, communities, all that stuff. We've got to be careful not to close off our hearts to the reality of what pain looks like here. And the trouble is that most of the pain that's here is not stuff that a checkbook can fix. And we spent a night and a day at morning talking about that. It's going to take us stretching ourselves into the lives of others. Guys, I will write a check at a heartbeat if I don't have to give my time. And Mary and I write a lot of checks. But we tend to write checks to organizations that are working all over the world that we're never going to go to. So it's not a cop-out, it's just for us, that's the right thing to do, because we're not there. But we give to organizations that we really believe in and trust that are doing excellent ministry at a local level. I can't say that in my church in Lafayette. I can't say that when people get hold of our church. I can't say that when there's members that are hurting. It's going to take my time and my energy and not just my economic resources. And I know, again, this is hard because most of you are here just to kind of get the sermon, and I'm really building upon, this is like a three-part thing to me, last night, this morning, and to now. <clears throat> the biggest thing that Chattanooga Valley, my challenge to move forward is, is getting into the mess of people's lives. And that's not fun, because there's going to be a little forward, there's going to be about ten things backwards, and then there's going to be some things sideways, and it's just going to be messy. And what part of what your leadership, your elders and deacons need to do is create mechanisms for you to enter into the mess. But if you're not willing, all this church is going to end up doing is saying no to lots of people. Or they're just going to write the check, and that's the end of that, and that's not what the church is about. I so appreciated the sharing about Christ and Christ's presence and Christ's power, that's what this community is and has for people. We were mentioning this morning, okay, we, I always use the proverbial we, I was doing all the talking, um, that one of the most powerful things when you start entering into people's lives is promising to pray for them consistently. And in this case of this one thing of kind of walking with people who need some economic help, having somebody who's willing to pray for them every single day for an extended period of time, like for four months to six months, every day. How many of you in this room know that somebody's praying for you every single day? That's a blessing, brother. What a powerful thing, right? What a thing to give to people. So our opening up is part of it's going to be our wallets, but a lot of it's going to be us. And that's what God said, and that's what Jesus meant when he said they're always going to be here. So open up. Now, what about that woman? What did she understand that the disciples weren't getting? She was in tune a little bit better the fact that he's on his way to death. He's been trying to say that. He's been trying to get people to understand. My future is pretty bleak in the short term. She got it. And so she did something that, something that none of us can do. Ever. 
Because there's a moment in history and God used that woman to put that oil on his head to minister to him. And my guess is there's some tears and grieving that are going with that. And he, it's, he appreciated that. And he even said, this woman will be remembered for the rest of history. So while we can't do that for Jesus, as she did, we need to do what he told his disciples and the rest of us to do. And that's to open our hearts and to open our hands. How long does this church go? No, 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 no. You don't ever do that. I No. Is it 12? Is it 12-ish? Okay. I don't really, I mean, I'm asking honestly because I don't know what's normal around here, okay? And I made the mistake of not looking down and paying attention to what time I started. So who cares what time it is? I have no idea how long I've gone. So I'll keep on going, okay? Um, but, but I only have, I have one more thing, right? So I hope that, I hope that this, make, this is important to me. I'm really just sharing out of my own life. And my constant challenge to be more vulnerable with some precious resources. And that's me, of who I am, and that's my time. So there's another scripture that through the years, I've often had people say, but didn't Jesus say? You know, whenever it starts, the conversation with, starts with, well, didn't Jesus say? You know you're in for an interesting ride, right? Didn't Jesus say if they ask for your shirt, you give them your coat too? You never say no. So this stuff about helping the poor is really easy. They come in and ask for $400 for the, or $200 for the utility bill. Well, you give it to them because that's what Jesus told us to do. And to say no would somehow be not Christ-like. So when somebody asks for something, then you, you just do it. And um, I've, you know, this conversation we've had last night and today, part of the really hard message is sometimes the most often, actually, too often, maybe, the most loving thing to do when people are coming to ask for economic help is actually to not give it to them. And that may be the most Christ-like thing. That's a really hard one. So this verse often gets, I, I hear this a decent amount. So I've had to think about it a little bit, and I just want to share a few thoughts that come to mind. So this is from Matthew 5. We'll turn back there. Verses 38 to 42. So again, there's context for that statement. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that's the text. That's the context. We've all heard this. And this is about kind of equal justice here. You did this to me, I'm doing it to you. You kicked me, I'm kicking you back. Right? This, this, this equality thing. Jesus is going to challenge that. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, for if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. By the way, that does not mean if he punches you, stand there and bleed. Actually, that's a, in, in what's being referred to here is a backhanded slap to the cheek, because in that time frame, 
and the Hebraic community and the community of the Jews, that's how you insulted people. You give them the backhanded slap. He's just saying, don't slap them back. He insulted you, don't insult him back because that's just going to escalate and away you go. So take the insult. Take the insult. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too and give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what's going on here? How literal is this command? Well, the context, hello, Steve, brother. I haven't seen you forever. Hello, brother. Sorry. So the context of this is not just, hey, if they ask, you give. The context of all of this is stop being so self-protective. Stop worrying so much about defending yourself in multiple ways. Stop worrying so much about, well, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And if I give of this, they want to want to take this. And if I will and to volunteer to be a mentor, they're going to suck my life dry. There's an underlying theme here of stop trying to protect yourself and trust God will do that for you. Now, I'm going to say some things again. One fun thing about preaching once and leaving, there's no responsibility for the chaos, right? <laughs> so... Matt actually mentioned more, you know, what's success? And he talked about, you know, just follow your dreams. And I'm so tired of all that stuff. I'm so tired of the new gen, the millennials saying, you know, I just got to know my passions and follow my passions. And then God, that's how God reveals his will and builds his kingdom. Uh, I, I don't, I think there's a scripture that says die to self, but we won't talk about that right now. Um, And rightfully so, people do get hurt by others, right? And there's places to put up some fences around that. But that can become so self-protective in so many ways, right? And this kind of opening of yourself, not to abuse, but opening up yourself to maybe have some sacrificialness happening that you can't quite control. And so when I hear this scripture that says, don't refuse the one from borrow from you, I'm not thinking, okay, they asked for it, I've got to, the church has to just do it, or we won't be showing the love of Christ. What I'm hearing is, I've got to enter in and let God take that where he takes it, knowing it's going to cost me more than I wanted to, and that's okay, because I never lose. In God's economy, we never lose when we give of ourselves. We just don't. And I think we all know that. Because if that's not true, none of us would have kids. Right? We'd be the church of castrations, right? Just to keep it all under control. Because if you are that, you're going to give of yourself, and then you look back in life and go, the only thing I wish I would have done different as a parent is give more of myself. And that's why we get to be grandparents. So we get round two. 
Um, and that's why we spoil them so badly, because we get round two, right? My point in all this, guys, is just, I want us just to be careful with putting up Being, just, I can't say more than being more than self-protective. Just being unwilling to let God stretch you where he would have you go. And so what I would like you to consider is, in your own life, where does that tend to be? Where are those things that you tend to not be willing to just kind of, the, the whole kind of let go a little bit and see where God takes that? So I'm actually done, brother, so this is good, because you said I had about 20 to 30 minutes, so I'm trying to stay within that framework, 30 minutes or whatever it is. And so um, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the chance um, to just sit before your scripture.